Hello everyone, welcome to this week's Diga en Español podcast. I'm your host, Rosaura Montes. Today's episode features freelance film critic Carlos Aguilar. Originally from Mexico and a DACA recipient, Aguilar has written for the Los Angeles Times, IndieWire, and more. In this episode, we start off talking about Aguilar moderating a Q&A panel for Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Later, we dive into Aguilar's career as a film critic, the Academy Awards, and more. Here is Carlos Aguilar. In New York, there's an exhibit of all the, the puppets and the sets for them from the movie at MoMA. And so back in December, I was invited to go moderate a Q&A with Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafsson, the, the co-director of the film. Um, and then after, you know, the Q&A, they had like the puppets there and you could take photos with them. So that was really cool, you know, the to see the the sort of magnitude of the work. Because, you know, once when you watch the movie and if you know a little bit of how stop motion is made, you know, the frame by frame uh, with physical sets, physical characters, you know, um, it's sort of a painstaking, you know, meticulous kind of work. And so that exhibit in New York, you get to see you know, the sets and all the characters and, you know, uh, how they physically sort of exist in the world and, and the size they are and sort of how they shot and how they made it. So uh, I think it's really, really fascinating. Hopefully they, you know, they should bring it to the West Coast hopefully soon. How was it moderating that panel? You know, Guillermo was there. Yeah, I mean, he's always so insightful, you know. I think it's, uh, that's really something wonderful about him as a filmmaker and as a person who loves movies, you know, that he always really engaging and funny and you know really has some interesting uh things to say about the craft of filmmaking and this one in particular with animation you know i think that the message that he's been sort of like pushing with this uh with this movie is that animation is a medium and not a genre that an animated movie can be a drama can be for adults can be you know a period piece can be many things because um, i feel like in the general public and in the industry still a lot of people think of animation as a medium that only exists to tell stories for children, you know. Um, and I think that has to do with a lot of things, you know, in terms of like how big Disney is. And, you know, uh, not, you know, I love Disney movies, but I feel like they definitely become sort of like um, the only way that a lot of people engage with animation. And there's such a bigger world out there when it comes to what can be done with the medium. I think Pinocchio is a great example, you know, that it's a movie that a young audience can, you know, can enjoy, but it really, it's dealing with a lot of like uh, deeper, uh, profound sort of darker themes as well. And what did you think about the movie? Because when I saw it, I, I was blown away. I did not ex expect this take the way that Guillermo took it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's funny because I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the Disney one. It was not, it's not, it was not one of my favorites. I've rewatched it now and I think it's beautifully animated and well done. But, you know, when you compare that, which I think that's sort of the the biggest reference that most of us have when it comes to Pinocchio is that Disney version. When you compare it to, you know, to Guillermo's take, you realize how, you know, how really distinct he and his, you know, a team made it. And just because, you know, the, the subjects that he's dealing with, you know, whether there is religion and war and the concept of, you know, mortality and being human and sort of the finite time that we have on this on this planet and you know the the character of Pinocchio in this version sometimes is kind of unlikable you know it's it's a it's an annoying little kid at times and I feel like that's that feels very you know real and honest you know he's not sort of like a perfect kid and so I think that there's a lot of honesty and beauty behind it and of course the craftsmanship on display is just incredible I think that you know when you marry you know the mind of someone like Guillermo and you know a great theme 
with the resources of like you know Netflix and the people behind you know you can really get something uh, that blows you away so yeah I'm a big fan of the movie I was surprised when my dad saw it I honestly think the reason why he saw it because of Guillermo it meant a lot that you know he watched it and just like how you said animation is just not for kids you know it can be for anyone like you know Guillermo has been advocating I see that he engages with you a lot like on twitter and i think that's really cool i mean that was really cool you know it's always you know great to you know to sort of talk to artists that do such great job and you know i feel like he's always been uh, besides being a filmmaker i feel like he always engages with like important causes you know and supporting things and you know supporting people and uh, i think that it probably started when i wrote a piece a couple of years ago about the in mexico you know most of the films the independent films in mexico are funded through through funds that the government has so they're sort of like you know through the state money and so at that time the mexican government was trying to do away with the incentives of the funds for filmmakers to make films. And so I wrote a piece and Guillermo and a lot of other Mexican filmmakers were sort of involved in that. And and I feel like maybe that's what sort of like he saw that I was, you know, trying to cover this thing that was happening in Mexican cinema that wasn't, you know, cover much in American mainstream media, you know. Uh, and that's, of course, because that's my personal interest. Who are some Mexican directors that you feel that are not known right now, but you feel that people should be looking at their work? A lot of women directors from Mexico in the last few years have really created uh, some of the best work coming out of the country. Uh, there's a filmmaker called Lila Aviles, whose first movie, uh, The Chambermaid, La Camarista, premiere maybe three years ago, four years ago. Uh, and now she has a new movie that just premiered at the Berlin International Film Festival. Uh, and I think that she just has a very interesting vision. Uh, her first movie, that which you could find on, probably rented online or uh, on a you know streaming platform. Uh, it's about a Mexican woman who works at a very luxurious hotel in Mexico City and sort of like looking at her everyday life and her, you know, her fears and wants and desires uh, as we see her, you know, going about her day. And it's just a, it's a very kind of like introspective and funny movie that, you know, was very unexpected for me. And I'm a big fan of her. Then there's, you know, um, Fernanda Valadez, who made a movie called Identifying Features a couple years back, Sin Señas Particulares. She's a very, it's a difficult watch because it's about a mother whose son um, disappears and sort of like her journey to trying to find what happened to her son on his way to the U.S. Uh, his son was, you know, uh, going to migrate. And so when, you know, she doesn't hear from him, she goes on this journey to try to find him. And it's a very, it's a difficult watch, but I think that it's a very powerful movie. Yeah, I think those two are the ones that come to mind. And of course, um, Tatiana Hueso is another very famous Mexican Salvadoran filmmaker. She was born in Salvador, but then moved to Mexico. And she's made movies uh, in both Mexico and El Salvador. Uh, documentaries mostly, but her first fiction movie is on Netflix. Now, if you want to watch, it's called Prayers for the Stolen. Uh, in Spanish, it's called Noche de Fuego. And it's about, you know, young women in a in a small town that sort of been, you know, under the cartels or the, you know, sort of a siege and how these young girls are trying to, you know, still live a, a life uh, under those circumstances. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of great, you know, talent coming out of Mexico. I know that you're originally from Mexico City, and I wanted to ask if you can please tell us your journey uh, from being a movie critic. Yeah, I mean, 
So I was born in Mexico City. I was raised there. I moved to the U.S. when I was about 13, 14, almost 20 years ago. And so I'm a DACA recipient. And so I've always liked movies. You know, my mom is, a, you know, has always been very much a movie lover. Uh, growing up in Mexico City, you know, the only we couldn't afford to go on like vacations to the beach or uh, to do sort of like any, you know, expensive fun activities, but we could afford to go to the movies once in a while. And I feel like that was often like a treat for us. Like whenever I got good grades or for a birthday or a celebration, I would always ask, you know, for my mom to take me to the movies. And it always been sort of like a, a comfortable place for me, you know, to watching movies and thinking about them. And when I got older, that's when I started sort of liking more international films and, you know, discovering films from around the world. And I think that that's always been really my interest, you know, looking at how other people live their lives or experience things in other countries, you know, through their through their cinema. So, yeah, so I worked in Faster for a long time. And when DACA, when DACA came to be in 2012, I was able to, you know, live that job, you know, the fast food job finally, because now I could sort of like I had a work permit and I could start to look for something else and i got an internship at the sundance institute which is you know the the nonprofit that puts on the sundance film festival and i by that time i think i started writing on a personal blog just i will go to the movies by myself uh, or read friends and you know write a review just for myself i don't think anyone was reading those things that i was writing on my personal blog and slowly i found like little outlets online that you know were asking for people who you know to write for them and for a long time it was for free you know like i was you know i had this internship uh and i was surviving from that money and you know writing for free for a while it was a few years you know and I think it developed from there, you know, slowly I started either reaching out or being contacted by other outlets asking me, you know, to write for them. And that's now been nine years since I started writing. So it's been, you know, uh, a while. It feels like much longer, but uh, in reality, it's really only been nine years. And, uh, and yeah, and so now I'm freelancing for, you know, the LA Times, the New York Times and IndieWire, places like that. That feels very surreal uh, to even be writing for those places because I, I didn't go to school for, you know, for writing or English or uh, or really for anything. I, I mean, I, I went to community college because, you know, because of my status, I couldn't really, you know, it was kind of difficult to access more education, you know, financially and whatnot. And so I went to community college and uh, in Pasadena. And yeah, and so it's always a shock and a surprise for me whenever I get to do cool things or have some opportunities to interview, you know, great directors actors or whatnot your mom must be so proud she must be so happy that you're doing something that you love and you know something that you all would do together you know going to the movies yeah my mom is very proud and you know it's it's always interesting to me you know uh whenever like i show her like a newspaper that you know that i have an article on or i think that the first year i covered the oscars that was a big deal because me and her will watch the oscars together when i was young and i didn't mention this but when i moved to the u.s i moved to the u.s by myself so my mom and my brother stayed in mexico and so we've been separated for for a long time you know we see each other once in a while they are able to come visit me it's interesting because i feel like a lot of people you know that were born and yet raised in the u.s the sacrifice that that their parents have made for them is they left mexico and came here but in my case i've always think about the sacrifice that my mom made to make the decision to let me go because you know that i'm sure that was very hard for her and it was a decision made entirely because she wanted me to have a chance because she knew that that that, her, that she wouldn't be able to give me you know a chance to study or go to school in mexico and so uh, i think that her sacrifice was you know letting me 
going away. I have an aunt that has been living in the U.S. for a long time, so which is my mom's sister, and so she sort of sent me to live with her here and in hopes that I could, you know, have a chance. And so, uh, whatever success or accomplishment that I've had, it's always you know, uh, makes me very happy that I can, you know, share it with her. You had mentioned that you would watch the Oscars with your mom. Yeah, so we would always watch them together. So when I first got to cover them a few years back, I covered the interview room for Remescla. Remescla, as you probably know, it's a it's an outlet based out of New York that covers Latino culture, you know, film, music, TV. And so we got approved to cover the, the Oscars interview room, which is a whole process. You know, there are you know, thousands of outlets, publications that want to be able to cover that. And so we were very lucky that, again, there were other Latinos on the inside that sort of advocated for us to get approved and for us to be the, for Remescla to be the the first English language, you know, U.S. Latino outlet to be covering the Oscars. And so, you know, just attending the Oscars and, you know, being there and seeing the interview room, which is what I was covering, is the room where like after people win the Oscars, they come to the back and they give sort of like a small little press conference or they answer a few questions, you know, so you only get to see the winners. Um, So that was really cool because, you know, one of the years that I was there is when Coco won, when Roma won, when Shape of Water won. And so, you know, being there and, you know, getting to ask questions to some of those, you know, Latino winners was really incredible. And, you know, to have that, you know, on Remescla and sort of like bring that coverage to people was really great, you know, just, but the fact that I was there covering was kind of like a, yeah, like a surreal experience. And um, of course, through the pandemic, I haven't covered in person, but I'm going back to cover this year in person. And so I'm excited to, to be back. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast with Carlos Aguilar. Stay tuned next week for more Dig in Español content. Have a wonderful day, everyone. This is Rosaura Montes signing off. <laughs>